Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. do we start this i've forgotten we usually say hello <laughs> hello my name hello. is seb philpot and my name is verity simmons and this and is this is three, three in a bar, in a bar. <laughs> happy new year oh happy new year hey welcome to 20 20- go on i was gonna say we had a very happy start to this new year didn't we because yeah, we well, only gone and won something, didn't we? <laughs> we did. We did win. It was it was Woo-hoo! actually the, the one of the last moments of 2020 with yes. all its uh, awfulness yeah. and everything. We 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 had an, a brief moment of uh, of delight at the end. Total unexpected delight. A what? Unexpected. I'd say it was pretty unexpected. Um, <laughs> so we won the classical music digital awards. Yes. Of 2021, we won the best podcast. Yes, we did. 2020, best podcast. What did I say? We can still do 2021, <laughs> but <laughs> we'll aim for that one this year. But yeah. amazing. Thank I mean, you. I can't believe it. Thank yeah. you to anyone who nominated us yeah. and to David Taylor, who yes. was running the awards. And I, I don't know how he decided, but. <laughs> But um, we're very glad that he decided. There were, very, in there were our loads way. of different categories and yeah. all sorts of stuff, but. Um, we're up there with some big names. Yes. LA Philharmonic. I know the uh, Mozart Philharmonia. players. Yeah. yeah. I know. Amazing. So I, could, I honestly could not believe it. I, I just, I, I was, I put it on because I'd heard that we'd been nominated. So I, I was just about to go out for a run. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I'll just stick it on. And then, and then he said, oh, we'll do the podcast one. So, um, I showed Charlotte and she was like, what is it? What is this? And she's like, have you made this? Because <laughs> it just like... Have it just, you made it? <laughs> we listed all the, um, all the highly commended and they all sounded amazing. So I was like, yeah. oh, well, we're... <laughs> anyway, we've won. And then it went to the visual and it went three in a bar. Like, oh, oh, my God. I know. It was... Uh, so, yeah, so she thought I'd just made it upstairs. That's what I'd been doing the last hour. <laughs> well, I spoke to my mum and she said to me, when well, I listened to the Highly Commended, and I thought to myself, oh, aiming high, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. And I tell you what, we only gone and beat them, didn't we? Uh, no, well, I don't mean that. I mean, we're very, very <laughs> pleased. 
Well done to the highly commended guys yeah, as well. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant, and brilliant. Well done to those, uh, you know, lowly uh, orchestras, people like the Royal uh, Opera House. And oh, well the done. They tried Well done, guys. Hard. You've done yeah. well. Keep going. <laughs> but we're back now. We're back. We're, we're it's gonna... inspired us. We had a few weeks off because yeah. it was Christmas. Yeah. Um, and then it was New Year. And and that bit in between, yeah. And uh, and we did all that live stream thing. That took a lot of energy. Oh, it did. It was so, so we had a few fun, weeks off. I hope that's exhausting. okay. I hope the listeners yeah. don't mind that. <laughs> uh, but we're back now. We're back every yes. Monday. Yeah. And uh, we're back with a bang mm. because who do we have this week? Oh, we have got the incredible Lizzie Ball. If I was to explain everything that Lizzie Ball did, we'd be here for the next hour and a half. Hmm. So I'm just going to briefly sum her up. She is a musician, specifically violinist, concert producer, vocalist, advisor, educator, educator, sorry, on musical and theatrical projects. Well, I mean, she's played with pretty much... A lot of people, um, <laughs> such yeah. as uh, Nigel Kennedy, Brian Wilson, Hugh Jackman, Jeff Beck, Ariana Grande, yeah, Liam Gallagher, yeah, uh, Robbie Williams, yeah, <laughs> lots of people. And uh, well, we talk about a lot of that. She's uh, done lots of work at Ronnie Scott's. Uh, you can't stick her in a box. No, absolutely. She's amazing. She uh, curates this evening called, well, it's Classical Kicks, are the company, production company, and yeah. um, they're amazing. It's bringing classical music into all kinds of different settings and formats. It's an incredible project. It's been going since 2012, and she talks a good lot about that. It's so yeah. interesting. She's jolly interesting, isn't she? She really is. Uh, should we get into it? Yeah. This is the conversation we had very shortly ago. We, we literally, <laughs> we just did it. And, just hung uh, up. And we just kicked her out the Zoom call, and now we're uh, now we're doing the intro. Here it was. Uh, here it is, Lizzie Ball. Hey, happy New Year, Lizzie! Thank you so much, Verity. Thanks, oh. guys, for having me. Did you have a spectacular Christmas and New Year? I mean, it's a question, isn't it? <laughs> question considering the global pandemic Uh, you know what I mean I have to say it was actually surprising in so many ways there were some beautiful moments I didn't get to see my my family because of Mm. the the restrictions that were placed you know the last minute so like a lot of people um I wasn't able to travel to where my my mum is up in Derbyshire I'm in London so yeah no but you know what it actually turned out to be quite um quite meaningful there were lots of like hidden surprise moments and stuff which I just you know wasn't expecting so actually you know I think it's that thing of just trying to turn the loss into a gain you know that kind of thing right Mm. did you stay up till midnight for New Year's Eve then I did but you know sort of you know it's one of those isn't it where you're like (laughs) oh god but you know it's great not to have the FOMO isn't it yeah big time Seb did you stay up no, I, I went to bed at ten o'clock. Well done. <laughs> Love I've got it. I've got a little baby, so that's I, my life oh, is very different now. So yeah. I was up that's at seven nice. a.m. bright eyed yeah. and bushy tailed. Perfect. Do you know uh, we watched Doctor Doolittle, and that's like nice. two hours. I'm never getting back again. But it did see us through till midnight. Nice. <laughs> Which one was it? The Eddie Murphy one or the no, Rex no, Harrison? No, no, no. It was the Robert Downey Jr. doing a really dubious oh, Welsh Downey. accent one. Oh my god! Yeah. I've not oh. seen that. I love him, but I've not, it's not strong. Oh, it's not strong. <laughs> the, I, I remember seeing that on the side of a, lots of buses 
about yeah. a year ago. Yeah. And it, his face just gave the look of contractual obligation. Because yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I remember reading about him um, when he was doing Marvel Iron Man. And he was like, I don't know if I'm going to come back for the, for the last Iron Man. No, I want, I want loads of money for it, like playing hardball. Mm, and then yeah. you see him do a film like that and you go, what? Yeah, what sort of are you talking about, mate? all credibility, what are you yeah, talking exactly. about? exactly. Oh, Those drug days aren't that far behind you, obviously. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, but, oh, God, you always used to love to hear a Robert Downey Jr. story, yeah. didn't you? It's like, oh, <laughs> what's he got up to this time? It's yeah, always, like, exactly. the best L.A. gossip, like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, Lizzie, uh, yeah. I mean... There are so many things to talk to you about. I went through. Oh. I mean, I thought I knew everything that you got up to. Oh, wow! <laughs> through oh my God. I don't know if I know everything I get up to. <laughs> Professionally speaking, I oh, must. Oh, okay. But, but there is so yes. much. I mean, <laughs> it's incredible. You've done an incredible amount of things oh, thanks, in thanks. in your career thus far. And you were on the fifth the list of fifty most influential women, weren't you? Very recently, I was. It was for That's for our, our favourite publication, the Daily Mail. But you know, <laughs> I wasn't going to say there was it. So, there was some. I, I kind of I praise it with. Um, and to be fair, I mean there were some pretty amazing women on there. So I was like super humbled to be yeah, next to all these Dina amazing. Dina Smith women. was there, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. Um, there was yeah. some pretty like badass. Badass ladies. So, yeah, no, that, that was a really like a really nice surprise. Um, was it a helpful platform? Did it help get some some of your projects going? Because like, we, we do, you were doing classical kicks at the time, obviously, and did that yeah. have an impact on being able to get certain things to go I your think, way? Do you know, it's a really interesting question. I think, you know, press is a funny thing, isn't it? Because we think that that's what's going to happen. But so often I think press is, it's the kind of cherry on the top. But really, the, yeah. the work is what actually ends up making things happen and, and the kind yeah. of products you are creating. So, I'm, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, as I said, I was super humbled to be chosen. Anything like that that I've had in my career, and I'm always so grateful for press because, you know, it's hard won and it's difficult to get. So I think, you know, that's always really helpful because it's certainly just, I think it can add that kind of, I don't know, I guess some people look at it as like a way of validation. I, I don't particularly yeah. think, I think that's a bit dangerous to think in that way. So I kind of, while I'm really pleased if it happens, I'm not going to, you know, set my my candle to that, you know? So, but yeah, yeah. I think I think it probably just helped to raise a bit of awareness about yeah. what I was doing. But I think in the end, it's kind of what you're doing, isn't it? It's like yeah. concerts yeah, and projects. Yeah, if you've got the stuff and... to back it up, that's the yeah. thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think that's oh. kind of the nutshell, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and uh, we were going to chat to you about uh, classical kids. Well, Ooh. as a starting point, because Great. that is an immense project. Um, so, so it was founded in 2012, right? And yeah, what was the basis? Where did it, this idea come from? Um, do you know, in a nutshell, because I was doing, I was lucky to be doing a lot of touring at the time, and I'd actually was playing quite a lot with Jeff Beck. The rock star, the rock yeah. god, yeah, and yeah, exactly with the guitar, and uh, <laughs> and like so, I was like on this quite sort of interesting trajectory, like all around the world, all around America, and and I was just actually really missing my mates and my sort of musical gang at home, and I just thought oh, it'd be really good to do something a bit different and and I think to be fair like the years I've spent so I led Nigel Kennedy's orchestra for about eight years and that was a particular yeah. high point for me that's still like my sort of you know one of my fondest memories and and I think just working with someone like him who you know love him or hate him I, I just think he's such a unique and incredible character in our in our industry and, and I think watching him close quarters over those eight years and seeing how he interacts with the audience I, to be honest, I've always been inspired by him. So it was this this constant feeling of like, what I really want to do something, you know, with that energy. Like, what can I do? And 
it was a perfect kind of um, combo of Ronnie Scott's kind of saw there was this kind of window to maybe do something a bit different. And I yeah. was just there. It was literally right place, right time. I just happened to be in conversations with them about another show. And they just said, oh, you know, like we've had this idea about classical night. And I was like, well, hang on, like, could I pitch for this? And so I pitched for it, you know, and I sort of, and it's funny, the name Classical Kicks just came to me. And it's sort of, I wish that my brain was like that now, because frankly, <laughs> when I'm thinking of new projects, it feels like I'm feeling my age, quite frankly, guys. It's like, oh, wow, like dragging out the kind of possible, you know, but it just came to me. And I mean, I'm not being funny, but I do think sometimes these things do just come and they're like moments of, I'm sure you know yeah. what I mean. Like sometimes Clarity. you get these moments, don't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I just thought, my God, Classical Kicks, that's it. And, and it was just, it sort of just flowed. And we, we did a, a show April, I think it was, 2012. And I'll never forget it. I mean, it was, you know, in the upstairs venue of Ronnie's, which is sort of in many ways easier to programme because it's more relaxed and a bit more low-key and you can kind of really sort of do what you want. Yeah. And, yeah, it was just this pack. I mean, I'm thinking now I can just, it's almost like it was yesterday in this packed bar and, like, everyone was all excited and there were so many different people had come and lots of young people. You know, it was a real mixture of age and, and diversity and lots of different people from all kinds of places. And Yeah. And, yeah, we opened with, we had Tom Gould open with a Chopin nocturne on violin, you know, with the piano accompaniment. And it was just, like, it was just so beautiful. And then we went on to, like... um like Gabby Swallow, who I know you've had, she played yeah. with Genevieve, her percussion duo. They did, and Genevieve was like eight months pregnant. She was like leaning on the floor over like all this percussion. And <laughs> wow. like, then we had like this Mexican guitarist, Morgan Shemansky. We, I mean, it was just such, oh, and we finished with the Queen of the Night aria, actually oh, for real, yes. sung by an amazing <laughs> soprano, Barbara Baradas, who is Portuguese. She's back over in Lisbon at the moment, but she just... I mean, you can imagine that aria sung that close quarters. You know, That's people awesome. like did people yeah. go with it? Did they just oh completely my God. go with it? Oh, they went mental. I mean, that for oh. me was like I still get goosebumps thinking about it because the, the, the moment when she stood up and no one knew what to expect, and so half the audience was super like classical fans or they were fans of the people that were playing you know and like and then half of them I think really had just pitched up to sort of see what the hell was going on and I think yeah. some of them had literally come to Ronnie's for a cocktail you know, and they like <laughs> wandered in they were like oh well, what's going on up here you know it was just so random for them I would imagine coming to get a nice martini before their dinner and being like all right okay we've got a bit of Beethoven going on you know oh brilliant so it just started like that and um and then I think you know, from then on, it yeah. I mean, there's loads of other stuff we've done since then, but but those shows were really the thing. And yeah, God, I miss them. I know oh. we all miss them. We all miss them, right? But... Were people were they kind of cheering during the songs and just sort of clapping and cheering the good big moments like they would in a more modern bit of music? Yeah, or... totally. Like yeah. it basically felt like a kind of not a pop gig, but yeah, it felt like a mm. modern gig, you know. And yeah, I think it's just um, what I realised was that atmosphere is something that's so important. And and I think, I mean, obviously since then, I mean, I certainly, you know, it's not like I was the first to think of, you know, I, I was following in the wake of, of, I mean, Gabriel and his amazing non-classical. I mean, he very much started yeah. that, I would say, that trend in, in London, East London. And then I sort of was inspired by that. And obviously there's like the Yellow Lounge in Berlin and all that stuff. But it was still, I think, quite early back then, you know, it was sort of, wasn't yeah. it, around the like 2000s, like it was beginning to be a thing. So I think when Absolutely. we came... Absolutely, I think even now it's like, it's just, a, yeah. it's still in the early stages, isn't it, of, mm. of putting classical music into new settings and, and just making it more accessible to people. Because yeah. you've taken, is it with Classical Kicks or is it another project where you take music into different settings? Because you've been in quite interesting places like, well, 
I know churches it seems like an obvious one but different yeah. kind of music yeah. and setting schools and places like that right? yeah yeah so the, the night kind of started as this like residency at Ronnie's and obviously that continued until well obviously for obvious reasons like all of us at the moment it can't do that right now but um mm. But then I just thought, what else could we do? So we created a kids show, which was super fun. And we worked with, I'm sure you know Kevin Hathaway. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah right. Like, you <laughs> must have awesome. said, I mean, he's like the legend. So I was so, like, excited because I thought, I wonder if he'll direct this, you know, because he's just, like, the pinnacle of educating kids, isn't he? He's amazing. And so yeah. I sort of said to him, would you, would you do this? And it was a collaboration um, that we did with sort of a whole load of academies, like um, school academies, and they wanted a slightly fresh take on the curriculum. They wanted just the kids to get more engaged in the curriculum set pieces for like GCC. And oh, so we created like a little mini classical kicks orchestra and we were able to kind of like get this new arrangements done by amazing um, Susie Winkworth, who's an amazing, yep. yeah, cellist, you know, yeah. amazing cellist and arranger. Right. Yeah, so she she did all these arrangements for us. And yeah, we just sort of toured around schools and did these workshops and Kevin did his thing, his amazing, like bringing yeah. it all together and conducting. And, and that was really fun. So we did that. Oh. We called that Classical Kicks Remixed. So we did this sort of slightly, you know, different take on on um on classical pieces just kind of done our way and then we've yeah. done all kinds of stuff I mean we've yes yeah, so we did a we did a, actually did um very much inspired by the whole you know heritage Pete Tong thing we we did um a version of that with Rob DeBank from Festival but I was actually was very much you about that yeah, yeah. So it was like it very, bit, didn't she yes yeah she Wonderful. did yeah so basically classical kicks like Rob came to me and said he so he runs Festival and is obviously like a massive creative tour de force yeah. and he's just a constant inspiration for me him and his wife are like as you know I mean they're just incredible and um and he said look I really want to do something that mixes like my DJing my electronic stuff with classical and, and in all honesty I think the only thing I think at that point Heritage had done um their prom but it, it was yeah. that early on you know so we I'd sort of been inspired by that and then we just kind of thought what we could do and it, it was a very like individual approach to it and we sort of figured what could we do and we kept the classical kick stamps so what we did do is um we were we then were commissioned to open a massive um, Marriott hotel on an island in Venice and this was oh, like wow. the only <laughs> thing on the island is this hotel and oh Rob was God, like right we're all gonna fly out there oh my god honestly <laughs> if you could take me there now I can't even imagine how amazing it would be <laughs> so yeah we had this incredible opportunity where Rob was like right we're all gonna be flown out we're basically opening this hotel it's a big deal and like Mr Marriott even came I mean did you even know there was a Mr no <laughs> no Derek like... Marriott turns up. <laughs> yeah, Derek, exactly. I was like, oh my God, is there, e- is there even a Mr. Marriott? Like, I don't even know. I thought it was just like, a, but apparently there is, you know, and he's like sort of 88 and just this like legend, you know. Mouth full of gold teeth, is it? Pretty much. Um, yeah. Pretty. I, I would say, um, without wanting to be too undiplomatic, I would say there's been some interesting visits to certain, um, you know, kind of potential facelifts, I would say. I don't know. I mean, frankly, good on yeah. him. You know, yes. I'm sure I'll be the same when I'm that age, so why not, you know? Oh, me too, quite. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, yeah, so we went there and did this whole sort of... It was curated to sort of fit in with the Venetian thing, so we kind of had a real think about how to do that. I mean, everything... To, I was even making costume on the plane and stuff. I mean, it was oh, really creative. We, we had... Um, That's cool. <laughs> yeah, we had, like... Cause we thought, oh, you know, the whole kind of Murano kind of glass and Burano and the lace, and so we made these, like, lace kind of diamante kind of massive cuffs and, and, and belts for everyone, including the guys. We did this really cool yeah. take on, like... 
and that even that down you know I was really like down to the detail I've always been very creative like I really like getting involved in all the angles of the production and and we were so pleased yeah. with it and then we even got um Barbara to come we flew her in and she did an opera aria so we we got we had it quite wide in the program we did have all this chill out music and stuff but then she in the middle we just stopped the beats and she just walked on and sung Oh Mio Babino Caro, you know, because it's Italy oh. and why not? And and it was, just, you know, so we had this special kind of sense of it that, that kept it very much a classical kicks thing. Do you have any kind of general rules, like like rules of thumb with the classical kicks? Like, how, like, because I guess you want to keep a real in- integrity to like the classical music, make sure it's the highest quality. You don't want to dumb it down at yeah. all, I would have thought. So do you have any kind of ways you kind of go about that? Such a good question. I always go on my gut feeling, Seb, to be honest. I'm sure you guys mm. are the same. It's sort of that instinct of a person or a player. I mean, obviously, when it began, I would obviously, you know, I'd ask the people I knew, you know, because also it was, like, difficult practically. You know, we didn't have a lot of money. We only make what we make on the door, um, you know, so and it's quite a small room, so kind of even if you do well, like, so you've also got to make sure the performers are happy. And, and so the way that I wanted to approach it with all of that in mind was to give people just a, a, a brief slot, because then it's kind of like, you know, you're saying to people, look, you're playing for 10, 15 minutes and you can basically have an amazing time. You get some free mm-hmm. drinks, you get, you know, a split of the door, door money. We were super fair and we just split all the money equally between everyone. And, and so there was a bit, a, a decent enough fee at the end of it, but it was basically about the experience. And and everyone yeah. was really happy to do that because obviously to play at Ronnie's as a classical musician, it was, and also they could film it. I was very yeah. happy for them to, to use that film. You know, I'm very sort of, democratic like that I just wanted people to get the most from it yeah very much works both ways doesn't it it really does yeah and I think you know because yeah you know you might you might only be paying you know kind of like a hundred quid fee or something which you know sounds okay but it's it's always a lot of effort for someone and if they're being Mm. featured they would probably expect more than that you know and they should ideally if they've been in a potential to get more than we would but at that point we were very much like making what we made and that was it so I mean yeah I think in terms of like artists uh, I think it's sort of because we the, because of that we'd have a lot of artists in the night so because of the time slots so I just made sure it was varied and I always make sure that like if you've got um something wacky then you do have like a beautiful rendition of a Beethoven string quartet movement or you know because I think it's really important to keep that integrity and to keep our tradition where we we're all from like I'm still that's the thing I, I don't think I think staying away from the gimmick to sort of long, very long-winded answer to your question, sorry, but like, you know, <laughs> staying away from the gimmick end of it. So I think for me, it's about like what music actually a lot of the time, and that might dictate who I choose to to play. You know, I think it's sort of also people that have an approach on stage. I think it's important to have people who know how to engage with the crowd. And I'd really look out for that. And and as I say, it began with people I, I knew, my friends, but, you know, honestly, over eight years, it's been, I've just kind of kept my eye to the ground and, and seen what's around. I might find someone on Instagram and be like, oh, they're really interesting and powerful and just get in touch with them. You know, so I'm very like, I'm not kind of, oh, just all my mates are playing. It's kind of like, yeah, yeah, but we had a, we had a bagpiper. <laughs> really? That's <laughs> <Yes>. great. <laughs> oh my God. In Ronnie's. Oh my God. Right. This, this actually <laughs> makes me almost want to cry. So when I think about the joy and how far away we are <laughs> from like doing these shows, but like in September last year, not well, year before, so 20, 2019, um, we'd had a break. We'd not really had a show for a while because I'd been touring a lot and, um, and I thought we've got to come back. So we did one in September, 2019 and it was, because we'd had a break for about a year, I was like, right, this has to be like, we've just got to smash it, you know? So anyway, that same year, I'd been at um, 
Edinburgh Festival the August before. I always go up when I can with my mum for a couple of days and like we stay in Airbnb. And you know, I don't know about you, I just love going and watching oh, like yeah. 50 yeah, shows amazing. and just, you know, isn't it amazing? Oh God, yeah. don't you miss that? Yeah. Oh my so God, I miss much. it so much. <laughs> oh God. So basically we'd gone up and my mum's really into that as well. So she was kind of really good at finding. She was like, oh look, there's this like show about a bagpiper. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And you know, it turns out, um, it was sort of changed my life. So this incredible guy called David Colvin, he's like an actor and a really good bagpiper. He's on those all-round sort of talents, you know. He did a one-man show about a guy called Duncan Gordon. And Duncan Gordon is a legend of Scottish piping. So this guy pretty much revolutionised the approach to the pipes. And to the extent where, you know, he, he sadly he, he passed away, you know, a few years ago now, but to the extent where even kids today who are learning the pipes, like Scottish friends of mine say, oh, yeah, now my friend's son is really inspired by him. Because what he did is he took things like Metallica songs and he played them on the bagpipes. Oh, what so it was a like this amazing, you know, like right. I, and he was such a great bagpiper. Like, okay, you say bagpiper, it's like what? Like, I've probably, I've never <laughs> thought about that before, you know. But, but even listening to his albums, they're just amazing. They're literally like listening to a, a singer. Or I mean, he really is like. And but he had a quite a checkered life. And and this this play that David had sort of written about him, my God, it was because his life was difficult. He struggled a lot with mental health and eventually he actually committed suicide. And this was the tragic thing. He was only 40 when he committed suicide. And, but he used to write his songs on the back of his cigarette packets. But he was actually um, a refuse, like a bin man. That was his job. So he was this, this amazing character who earned his money by being a bin man during the day. And while he was in the lorry, he would write, you know, songs on the back. I mean, can you imagine the story? It's just... So beautiful. And and the thing that was really sad was um, that really got me was when David was doing the play, there's this scene in the play where where he plays like Duncan went to the kind of National Piping Federation like right. recital. Can you imagine like how traditional <laughs> and how terrifying? Yes. And he played, you know, some kind of Metallica and they booed him off the stage. Because oh. even though it was only like maybe 20, 30 years ago, there was still this insanely prejudiced view towards what should be considered a bagpiping recital yeah, yeah, yeah. that really resonates with me you know this whole kind of thing we sometimes get in classical music where oh this is this is not a classical concert you know this awful prejudice yeah. that exists and is well, so all stifling the best people get booed off stage don't they i mean look at stravinsky exactly Back in the day, right honey. spring potatoes Boom. you know listen so, you exactly know. All good, That's you know, the, good things are yeah, coming ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, I totally agree. But, yeah, David basically, um, he he did this this play. And I, at the end, I was, like, weeping. I mean, I was, you know, when something's so good. And I went up to him at the end, and I was like, listen. I said, look, would you come and play? Because he plays Thunderstruck by Metallica. And oh, that was amazing. the kind of signature tune of, of Duncan, Gordon, and David plays it really well. And I was like, would you come and do it? And we could arrange it for, like, string quartet. So we, so we basically did it with string quartet, accordion, percussion and piano and him and that was like the ender oh, of the awesome. show i mean i can't even <laughs> tell you how fun it was it was like everyone was like what and all the like all my string you know gabby was doing it like all the string yeah. guys turned up like it was our show strings course actually the one that we formed from the huge atman tour so it's like megan yeah. Casty, and shlomi and they all came and they were like what what are we doing and i was like yeah this is this is a different <laughs> one you know but it was just amazing yeah it was like a rock concert i mean i looked at the video the other day and people were like screaming they were literally like ah because it was just such a fusion you know that so, is yeah. amazing it was yeah it was. <laughs> um but you guys did one in the main house at ronnie's as well didn't you 
Yeah, we did. Um, that was. That, um, and how did that go? Was that that a that completely different feel yeah. from playing upstairs? It was, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd actually played a bit in the main house in the past because I'd actually I'd done a lot of guesting with James Pearson and his trio, who were the house trio. I'd yeah. done a lot of guesting with them in the early days for opening acts. So I'd opened a lot for the bigger acts down there and that was kind of where I cut my teeth in that venue and really, I, I would say, almost learned everything I know from doing that, you know, yeah. because those small venues and especially when you're putting a foot on the stage as, you know, a semi-improvising violinist, but I wouldn't call myself a jazz violinist. I mean, I, I improvise and I'm free, but I'm not Stefan Grappelli. So it was a real kind of great test for my nerves and my confidence and my ability to yeah. sort of step up and kind of really do my best. And, and that's where I started singing a lot more as well. So I had played down there, but we'd never had a classical kicks show. And it was a real achievement because we'd been trying for a long time and the resistance really had been... I think just, you know, this kind of slightly f- the fear around the name classical, you know, I was like, come on guys, yeah. like, you know what we do and bless them. You know, they were fair, fair to be fair. They were great in the end. They said, look, yeah, let's do this. Then let's actually do it. So it was actually, <laughs> I think possibly the most out there collaboration. So we basically collaborated with the amazing Harry Christophers and the 16. Yes. Oh, incredible. You know, who are just, I mean, God, aren't they just glorious? I think Harry is actually possibly the nicest man in classical music i yeah. right yeah he's a lovely guy isn't he just oh. a dream he's literally like the kind of person you just think god if i just work with him or someone like him all the time <laughs> then basically you know and, and, and just was he this... straight in for it was he just completely oh, up for it as soon as he oh it. he was loving it yeah. like we had these brilliant meetings beforehand we were like what are we gonna do and it was obviously like so it's me and james pearson kind of co-curating it um mm. We're like, how are we going to do this? And we sort of just came up with this idea of, um, like I called it the origin of songs. So we thought we'd kind of go from, you know, ancient, like plain chant, kind of they could do their thing and all the sacred stuff. But we managed mm. to find these sort of threads between that and some of the jazz pieces. And so in the end we had, um, you know, James's trio, um, which at this point was, um, so actually it was with James Turner, who's a real kind of amazing colleague. You know James, yeah. he's a, he's a yeah. real Lonty. Oh, God. I mean, Aww. James Turner is like one of my most treasured colleagues. We do so much together. He does a lot of my arranging as well, and, and we've done all kinds of stuff. So, And he always plays in the classical kick stuff and in, and in my band concerts as well. So he he was on um, drums, and then we had um, James Pearson, obviously, on, on piano. Um, and basically, yes, we had the and Tim Thornton on bass, who's amazing. Oh jazz yeah, bassist. Jazz, yeah, he's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, who in lockdown ran a pizza a pizzeria from his backyard. Did he? No. Oh. Yeah, he was like right. Whereabouts gonna... in London? Is he in London? He's in London somewhere. Yeah, is he still it... doing this? I don't know, but he basically <sighs> started cooking pizza, and all the money went to charity. I mean, he's a complete oh. legend. Oh, he's a, like literally oh. a complete legend. So he he was on bass, and then we had Martina Slaviskis, who's obviously longtime collaborator, wonderful, mm. wonderful musician, um, accordionist, um, and he flew over from Lithuania especially to do it. You know, he's like, yeah, I'd love to come and do that with you guys. And and then we had the sixteen, um, Harry, and we also had my friend Isata Sheriff, who's an incredible rapper. And the culmination yes. of what we did with all this kind of different styles was um, we ended the the show with a piece so basically there's a there's um there's a beautiful song that was written by oscar peterson yeah you know the great jazz pianist and it's called a hymn to freedom and basically he wrote it in response to um dr king martin luther king's um i have a dream speech so Mm -hmm. when the civil rights movement this was actually one of the really like quite powerful anthems you know because i think oscar peterson had kind of written it as a direct 
response to his feelings about that speech. And it's still like, for me, it's actually one of those, like, again, maybe one of my top five, like it's such an emotive, because although it's jazz, there's this real kind of like epic undercurrent to it. And James plays it really well. So he, what James did was arrange a Latin intro to it for the 16, but he did the words in Latin from the I Have a Dream speech. Oh, so they, cool. I know. So they basically <laughs> sung it like, and it was all really kind of, he composed this very sort of appropriate, like sacred vibe, which then segued into the original, which we all kind of had parts in. And then we had Azata, she came and spoke the first part of the speech on stage. So she came and spoke the Luther King speech. Oh, wow. So it was just, it was like literally like this perfect combination of, 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 um, influences and yeah it really was powerful actually we've got a recording of it we're still kind of wondering what to do with it really and you know because it's it's actually quite it's come out quite well but it's sort of just whether we can get permissions or or think about maybe doing something with it but sure but it really was like yeah it was amazing yeah it was a special (sighs) one that's great those things where you know you've got all the different people from different backgrounds you've got the 16 primarily doing mainly sort of well they do a lot of baroque but a lot of modern stuff but very very classical things you've got a rapper and you've got you know you've got it's just amazing those people coming together to create something brand new that like would only have existed because of all those different elements that you know if you'd had a slightly different a different person involved in any element it would have been a different outcome probably yeah maybe i think i think it's yeah maybe going back to your question before Seb as well it's just it is about the characters of people I think you just you just yeah. sort of know if someone's going to be on board with it or not you know and you know if they're going to yeah. get it or not and it's totally fine some people really it isn't their thing yeah. and that's totally fine you know but I just yeah. think yeah. it's sort of someone like Harry has always been so cutting mm. edge in his way yeah, and yeah. so ahead of his time and, and I mean Mary Sophie who's their CEO is, is also just an incredible incredible person so the way she runs you know the the group in her way sort of in the office so I think the combination of the two of them makes that group particularly powerful and then the singers also they're also like everything I don't know about you but don't you think everything kind of feeds from the top I think you know that's yeah, why why politics yeah. is such a mess because yeah. you know most of our <laughs> leaders in inverted commas are, are so egotistical so they're not leading from the right place they're leading from mm. a place of of need yeah. rather than a place of, of of giving so it's sort of someone like harry you know leads from a place of of integrity so of yeah, course sure. everything under that is going to be so even who he's picking to sing in the group they're going to be amazing because they're going to be obviously great singers but they're going to be something special as well so i mean even the characters and, and the singers that we had were just all each one of them was so individual as well it was sort of like well of course i mean they're so world renowned you know there's a reason why they've stayed where they have for 40 years you know that um, must have been an incredible vibe in the room wasn't it when you got everyone all together from their different backgrounds first of all to rehearse how was was it was it crazy were you nervous about it or (sighs) i mean the big problem was time like it always is right i mean in a way like if you think i don't know about you guys like things we don't miss about the craziness (laughs) things i don't miss are like having an hour to rehearse something that you need five days for you know i don't have to say my nervous system doesn't really miss that when i'm like in charge of the whole thing and there's like 250 people coming to a show and you're like god we've only done this once (laughs) (laughs) what were we thinking you know like Like your shoulders are up by your ears are you just feeling like you're living on that much breath oh my god (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I just I do look back on some of those moments and think I suppose and you, it's always down to money. I mean, that's let's face it, let's be real. It's down always down to the restrictions of budget, and there's never enough money to pay for what you want. But then I also think that's great because again, that gives us because in this country we are very much a quick rehearse, just do yeah. it. There's hmm. something about it, isn't there, guys? There's something yeah. special about that. You know, it totally. gives an extra sort of focus mm. to that hour, doesn't it? It's mm. like we have to do it. This is it. You know, <laughs> what are you do? it's yeah. like when you do something live. Yeah. It's happening there. Or, or if you're, you know, if yeah. you're in a big posh session somewhere, yeah. it's like you have to do it then and and really yeah. nail it first time. Yeah, yeah. If you're at home trying to record something on your own, take all day. Doesn't matter, does it? So <laughs> Keep messing up. And that's <laughs> it, though. And sometimes yeah. you don't get anywhere because you have got yeah. that time to get it wrong, and you're like, yeah, oh exactly. no, this just isn't the same. Ronnie stuff arguably was really my springboard to everything else that I did because I I did that before I started working with Nigel Kennedy and Mm. I did and it was and I think he sort of perhaps was aware that I was doing that a little bit and you know then then I kind of had that opportunity come and that was just amazing and then from that I think you know Jeff Beck had seen me work with Nigel in the proms and was like oh you know and and he had known some of the guys at Ronnie's as well so there was this this very strong connection of of, of people that had seen me in these platforms and mm-hmm. then that and then he invited me to come and play in his band mm-hmm. with with an amazing guitarist Nick Meyer who he and Nick and I were actually in a band together in Nick's band and Jeff had seen us play together because again it's all these scenes of, of me and he said oh you know I actually want the two of you so he asked the two of us to join his band which for Nick was incredible as well because obviously guitarist dream you know um, totally. So that it was all just like that kind of, and, and and like I said, I do think there are these moments in your career where if you do have that one springboard, it really can lead to so many other things. And it's so, mm. I'm so you know so grateful for my time, Ronnie. So grateful to James and and for believing in me. You know, he's he's brilliant like that, James. He helps a lot of people to kind of because I think he sees potential in people and and he's continuing to find interesting talent and nurturing yeah. it and kind of you know it is you know that venue has struggled to kind of because obviously they have to run a business and all that, but I think they still kind of keep their creative heart. And I know James and all the guys are very much about that. And they've got some amazing education stuff going on now as well with mm. the foundation. And so there are definitely big developments that have happened really? there. Going yeah. back to what you were saying about Nigel yeah. Kennedy. Um, yeah. That's so, so I've read that you were saying that he was a sort of childhood inspiration, childhood yeah. hero of yours. Yeah. Same for me, very much so. I remember really? getting that Four Seasons uh, record of yeah. being over the moon about it like he yeah. really was a trailblazer at the time but how yeah. did you find when you came to work with him was it a funny thing to work with a childhood hero um it was I can honestly say one of the happiest days of my life oh I I brilliant. think for me um and I know this maybe might sound a bit <laughs> you know I, I do believe in choices I do believe we can map our, our path and we can choose but I also do believe there's a certain amount you just can't control and Mm. there was something about the way that whole situation came about which was a little bit karmic and I got the phone call um I'd just been in New York actually and I've been playing a concert out there with an amazing group called New York Polyphony who are kind of like um a younger Hilliard ensemble and they're really interesting sort of vocal kind of polyphony quartet we've been doing these sort of big epic like 
cathedral concerts out there doing really early music with like violin and pro. We had quite a lot of fun. We, we I, I used to go there once a year and we'd experiment. And I'd, I just got off the flight and I was on my way home and my phone rang. And it was, and I'd met Nigel a bit, you know, through some of the stuff at Ronnie's and I'd actually met him when he'd played at Ronnie's and I'd gone to sort of just say hi and introduce myself and basically just say, look, you know, you are like a total inspiration. And, you know, so he, he, like a lot of these musicians, very nurturing and was always kind of interested in what I was doing. And, mm. but, you know, it was very much like a sort of friendly situation. Um, and his wife and I got on really well. And I remember like going to their house once for a party, you know, and just like, she was awesome. Yeah. And anyway, she rang me, the phone rang. I was off the plane from New York and she rang me and I was like, I wonder why she's ringing me. And, you know, sort of quite early in the morning. It was off of like a red eye. So it was about eight in the morning. And I, I was like, oh, you know, how are you? And, and eventually, you know, it turned out that they were looking for this, this leader for a tour and it was all some stuff, something had gone on and it was a bit last minute and they were like, look at the mm. tours in like a month, you know? And I was just like, oh my God, you know? And it was just like that phone call you never really think you're going to get and it actually happened. Yeah. And I, I actually almost wondered whether I was like jet lagged and hallucinating <laughs> <laughs> because it was just this, this really just actually had a phone call from Nigel Kennedy and one from <laughs> Barack Obama. <laughs> sort of, you know, it was, it was a bit like, is that, is that really just happening? And then, you know, yeah. even the karma of like my diary was free and it was like, how is my diary? How is that? You know, it was like, I do feel like the universe was like, this is it. This is the, the thing that you need to grab. So three weeks later or four weeks later, I was out in Germany day one. And I mean, yeah, I mean, I just, I think it was just, yeah, it could have gone either way, but I think, you know, he walked in the room and, and we all sat down and I mean, I'd, I'd just, you know, I'd literally like, I, I don't think I'd ever practice so much in my life. I mean, that was one of those opportunities where I'm <laughs> yes. right, there is no fucking way that, sorry, oh God, I shouldn't say that. Should <laughs> I? Do I have to redo? Do I have to redo? No, you can say that. Are you no, sure? No, Unless you want to redo it. Oh, I don't mind. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> I was like, there is no, there is no damn way that I'm going to, um, that I'm going to not be massively on top of this music, you know, because sure. it's so, I was prepared, but obviously like massively nervous thinking, how is this going to go? Cause he doesn't use a conductor. So it was very, it was a really big opportunity for me. Cause it's like, I was basically, you know, directing with him, yeah. you know, um, so yeah. And he just turned up and we started and it was just like, I know what to do. And it was just strange. I don't know whether it was all the years of listening to him or... But there was always this sense with him that I could just feel what he was doing and I could follow him and really follow him, like really lead. Because I think a lot of leaders, you know, they can play really well or they can... But, you know, there's something to something about, you know, it's all very well playing perfectly and virtuosely, but it's a very different thing to lead. And Absolutely. For some reason, for him, I just knew how to lead. And it was like, a, it was honestly, I know it sounds a bit cheesy. It was really quite karmic. It was like this gut instinct. And yeah, we spent like eight years off and on touring and, and just really some of the most incredible moments. I mean, the guy is just unbeatable on stage. You know, he just, as you know, he just does what he wants and it's magical and it's without any boundaries. And actually in that context, I think it's great, you know, it's just always been the way I like to do things as well. So I think, yeah, I, I learned pretty much everything, I think, from those moments. So lucky, so lucky, you know, because I literally listened, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, I listened to, I had every record he made. I played it backwards. Mm. I was such a geek. I was literally like, yeah, me too. Every, did you? Yeah. In the like, car, oh on the God. cassette player. Yes. All the time. Oh my God. I've still got the tape oh, yeah. of the four seasons. I didn't throw it yes, away. Yes, me too. 
yeah. was great. And also he did an amazing oh, Brahms and Mendelssohn, I think it was, a Brahms and Mendelssohn oh, double. Yeah. I think that's right. Anyway, oh, brilliant. So good. Nice, so beautiful. And I'll never yeah. forget him on Saturday. It was with Gordon the Gopher, wasn't it? That was a really strong moment in my musical education <laughs> where he um, he ripped Gordon the Gopher off off Philip's Gopher or whatever and hurled him around, I didn't haven't he? seen that. No Oh, look what? it up, look it up. God, I tell oh, you what, I better what? fact check this, hadn't I? <laughs> oh, but let's, just, let's just hope it's out. true. Oh, my God, Seth, <laughs> I'm sure we he need to immediately... <laughs> you need to have a look. There's definitely an incident involving yeah. Gordon the Gopher and Nigel Kennedy. I'm sure I've got that. Oh, God, one. I can't wait. This is, <laughs> okay, as soon as we finish this, I am going on Google Get immediately. On the <laughs> It'll be there. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah, leading orchestras, you've done quite a lot of that. Yeah, right? I have. I mean, again, not necessarily in the conventional sense. I mean, you know, I think for me, it's again, it's always been about what really suits me. So kind of I certainly wouldn't want or claim to want to even try and lead the LSO or, you know, this kind of thing. It's not... Vienna Philharmonic... New Year's Day concert. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, there are, there are like people for that and I have huge respect for those amazing musicians, yeah, yeah. you know, but for me, it's very much about, you know, so I think, yeah, getting getting the job for Nigel couldn't have been more of a perfect job for me. I mean, that was just absolutely up my street and I knew what yeah. to do. Um, similarly, yeah, I mean, I've done, you know, quite a lot of pop leading and quite interesting kind of stuff like everything from you know doing Ariana Grande's film at BBC that was really fun because actually those arrangements like with Steve Sidwell who's an amazing you know incredible incredible guy I mean obviously a legend in his own right and so you know working with arrangers like that who are just so creative and so brilliant um so that was awesome um obviously the Hugh Jackman tour which you know um was where we formed the show strings and that was an amazing thing to to lead in Europe and so lots of different bits like that you know which have been super fun to do you yeah. played on the um liam gallagher's uh i concert. did that was a bit that's of a, a great bucket. record that yeah oh God, i'm glad you like it i was a bit of a bucket list for me that actually so yeah. i led so i led the um the mtv unplugged project for the amazing um urban soul orchestra that's run by steve hussey who's awesome you know he does yeah. such a, an incredible job with that orchestra and obviously he's an amazing violinist and, and arranger in his own right but he he wasn't able to play that gig that time he I think he probably would have led it if he'd been able to play so I was super touched that he he thought of me you know so that was a bit of a bucket list only because alongside Nigel Kennedy the other cassette that I wore out in my beaten up <laughs> secondhand Subaru Justy in Derbyshire when I was 17 was um, <laughs> definite definitely maybe Oasis is oh, definitely maybe yeah. which our generation <laughs> you know it's our soundtrack to our youth so you know for me that was it was a beautiful moment because I you know I've done a lot of pop stuff over the years and whatever and I'm very grateful for it but this one was I think just because of the nature of MTV Unplugged and the fact that it's such a, a really quite a special platform for artists and always has been right and the yeah. fact that it is stripped back and they had 25 of us so that was incredible to have a 25 yes. piece orchestra string orchestra as you guys know that's quite rare actually usually we'd have maybe eight or ten but 25 mm. is like you know pretty healthy size and we did it up in Hull um town city hall and it was so gorgeous in there it was like this old kind of Victorian hall with like an organ and they sort of just created this beautiful set really kind of creative um you know production and yeah it was just us and and his band very stripped back on piano and kind of his drummer wasn't even on kit his drummer was actually on a sort of light percussion setup so it really was like a, a quite a beautiful approach to his um 
music and Steve did all the arrangements. Um, so he was there to sort of guide us through some of the rehearsals. And then on the day, um, I had to lead it with that. You know, we didn't have a conductor in the end in the gig. So it was very much about me leading it. And that, and it was oh, recorded. All that prep with Nigel Kennedy paying off there. Listen, no all those moments. <laughs> I tell you what, it makes those moments yeah. much easier. Because I think, you know, Nigel, one thing Nigel really is, is a hard worker. And he, he yeah. expects nothing less than 100%. So mm. he was a great trainer for me in that he really was like, if anything was slightly off, he'd be like, no, again. Mm. And so when he then jumped to kind of, in a way, a slightly more relaxed setting of music, like pop music, but, you know, the standards are still high for yeah, what they quite. want. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure you find this, like, mm. you actually feel like that that training, I think that's why our classical training is so important, because it holds such a high level that when you go into the arena of, of music that might be less difficult but the pressure's still high you're kind of like okay fine I can do this yeah. and and because it was recorded live there was a hell of a lot of pressure because they didn't do a separate take you know it, the whole thing was taped live and wow. actually when you're doing that in Hull City Hall with a group of only 400 of can you imagine only 400 tickets what those fans were like oh my god that's incredible i mean pretty yeah. intense i would imagine uh, so it was basically <laughs> like a football match so behind back, no 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 it was amazing it was absolutely yeah. the most brilliant backstage thing i've ever experienced so behind the stage uh, you know backstage we were waiting to go on and they were chanting his name and it was like going into a football match it was amazing oh i was like oh my god so you know the the sound guys did an incredible job because they was they were chanting so loudly that it was covering like a lot of the sound you know because yeah. they're like Liam Liam and it was amazing you know so we got on stage and um like I say it was mayhem it was incredible you know because he hadn't actually I think he hadn't played a live show for a while as well um or at least not in that way I mean, not to 400 people yeah. you know it's incredible for him to play such a small room so you know his fans were just beautiful they were amazing they're just such diehard fans so they were the real kind of core of his following and the vibe was just electric. I mean, you could have cut it with a knife. So, yeah, yeah, there was a lot of pressure for the production team to get what they needed. And there was no retakes. I mean, we had to just do it. And so, yeah, I, I'm really pleased with how, you know, it came out. I mean, obviously, it's like, as long as they're pleased, whatever. But, you know, the orchestra just sounded amazing. So I think yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve, and Steve was happy. Yeah. And did you have much interaction with Liam? No, you know, not very much, but not in a... I mean, he was very much... You know how, like, some artists are... I found in my career, like, when you work with artists that are well-known, they'll either be very engaged with you or they're just not... They're politely just not even interested in engaging. Yeah. But yeah. it's certainly not in a rude way. It's just they've got a lot going on. And he was more course, the yeah. latter, but he was very... I mean, he was very nice and polite, actually, and said hi. And But that was the extent. I mean, he just had so much... It was such a big pressure show for him. And that's fine. You know, I think sometimes it's easier that way and you just want to get on with your job and know that it sounds good. And the MD, his his, um, guitarist, who was the MD of his band, was great. So we we had loads Mm. of interaction with the musicians, which was the most important thing. Hey, Lizzie, I can see behind you a picture of Frida Kahlo, which is brilliant because it leads me neatly into what I wanted to ask you about next, which is your piece that you did last... It was last year, wasn't it? Or was it 2019? 2018, actually. End of 2018. 18. Yeah, end of 2018. Oh. Yeah. And yeah. it's called, let me get this right, Corrido. Is that mm-hmm. how I might yeah. pronounce it? Yeah. <laughs> Ballad for the Brave, yeah. which is a piece based on Frida Kahlo, uh, Carlo, Life and Times of, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, yeah. How did that go with some incredible creatives you were working with for that? Yeah, how no, did that, that was... come about? 
that was pretty amazing. So that was, um, so like another thing that classical kicks has started to do is sort of look into like a production arm really. So we've had mm. a couple of those, that show and another show we did recently with the Kletenacht, the Schoenberg yes, piece. They, cool. They're the two kind of main sort of, I would say shop window of what we've been doing, but in that area. So kind of moving into, um, kind of like 360, multimedia presentations of ideas. Now, the Frida show originated as a as a duet kind of lecture concert, if you like, with Morgan Schemansky, the amazing Mexican guitarist, great colleague of mine. And I sort of devised the idea and decided I would kind of put together this sort of, like a lecture with slides, but with music, you know? And I was asked to do it for the, the festival in Chats with House, which at that point was called Art Out Loud. And it was very much about artists and fashion. And they kind of wanted one musical thing at that point. They hadn't had a musical foray. And they were like, look, could you come and do something? And because the theme that year was about 500 years of fashion and kind of, I thought, well, actually, Frida fits really well into this. And it's sort of, she's an icon and, you know, everyone copies her fashion as well. So mm. it kind of just got me, got me going. And that was the initial and then um, the show really kind of massively developed from there because I looked at it and thought, you know what, I just feel like there could be even more we could do with this. It was just a gut feeling like we could really push the boat out with it. So I got in touch with an amazing um, friend of mine called Emily Blacksell, who is a writer, director, um, and a theatre producer, as well as a, um, you know, she writes scripts and incredible, um, you know, theatrical talent. She's also really well well well-skilled musician so she's a very mm. interesting producer for me because she also has a big skill in music which makes things a lot easier you know uh, and I went to her and I said look and she used to work for Sally Green um who is one of the owners of Ronnie Scott's and she has a lot of production film production companies and she'd done quite a lot of interesting quite big film productions um and then she changed um tact and started working for herself um and I said, so look, I've got this idea and I just like, would you be up for me like playing you the video of the show as it is? And then like, so she looked at it and we had a day together go through it. And it was just sort of, it just went from there. It was like kind of, we call each other work wives. Like it was just the perfect collaboration because <laughs> we sort of like had each other's opposing skill set, you know? So she's all about visual and kind of production from a theatrical point of view. I'm all about the kind of sonic stuff. So we kind of just went about creating something that was just ridiculous ridiculously gloriously over ambitious i mean we totally oh, stretched ourselves it was like almost giving birth it was insane it was like <laughs> i had to sort of at the time i was doing lots of shows abroad and at the time i had a, a show on cruise ships as well which i by the way really loved it's one of those really like badly reputation thing that actually mm. at the time was just such a i really loved it because it was such it was fun well it was yeah and it was my show doing exactly what i wanted to do anything i wanted to do they were like just do it so it was me doing, and, and so that actually, I had to do so much that year just to sort of help pay for the, the show we were creating. Because um, we got some funding, but it was quite tough. And, and the V&A had given us this opportunity to premiere the show alongside this extremely, um, you know, prestigious Frida Kahlo exhibition, which was bringing, they, they brought all Frida's clothes over from Mexico for the first time ever. You know, they'd only been in her house in Mexico since she died. So to be aligned with that was such an opportunity. But we had like four months to create the show. So obviously there was so much pressure. So all the pressure, all the angles. But we, yeah, we assembled between us this incredible team um, of creatives. Um, we had 
John Leonard on sound design, who is, he actually kind of almost created sound design for the RSC. I mean, he's like a complete legend. So he was just amazing to work with in the sense of tying together. Because I composed like six original pieces as well as playing like this Mexican music with Morgan. And we added Bartek Glavaski on accordion, who's incredible. We added um, another fantastic guitarist called Jorge Bravo, who's more kind of jazz and that was the band. And then, you know, we had my compositions and we had the sound design and the visuals. It was, it was a completely continuous visual, um, audiovisual experience. So the visuals were very much, um, animated film and kind of painted stills being brought to life. And we had a three-way projection where basically half the projection was on foil material. Well, so it was very like movable. So the whole thing felt, even though we were kind of on a budget, it felt like quite encompassing and we just did what we could with what we had, you know, and the animator, Colleen um, Brun-Najalis is unbelievable. She lives in a sort of little hut in the middle of the Pyrenees, literally, (sighs) and just, animates and like we'd send well emily was just incredible with all that emily took charge of the visuals and briefed and and created that whole side of it and would send her this brief and then she'd come back with something just unbelievable so yeah the whole thing was incredibly ambitious but we did pull it off um we had some amazing response and then yeah it was a tough one trying to get it to the next level in terms of again you know i think a lot of this pandemic has reminded me how hard it is anyway to try and get something off the ground let alone like being faced with a kind of global industry shutdown. Like it, you know, I think just we, we found um, what was so challenging was anything that was kind of, you know, bringing in extra creatives to sort of run the visuals, even the most sort of scrimped back version of the production that we could offer in terms of personnel and stuff. It's so difficult in theatres these days to make that work. So we did have offers, but at so many points we were like, if we do this, we're going to burn out. We're literally Mm. going to burn out. Like it's not going to be worth the effort. So we, we had some very difficult decisions of saying no to a lot of offers because I think that is the most important thing to learn as a creative is when to say no. And I feel like the production's so good that unless it has the kind of outlet that it deserves, it's better to just do it now and again. So then obviously I was going to look at doing it again in 2020. I took a break from it and kind of went back to my stuff. And then, of course, you know, COVID hit. So, yeah, it's been on my mind. I mean, actually, to be fair, in 2020, despite that, we did have a really exciting um, moment where the National Theatre... Um, and I couldn't really talk about this because nothing in the end came of it, but I, I'm sure they won't mind me talking about it. I, basically, the um, the National Theatre's immersive storytelling studio, which is their virtual reality studio, basically wanted to partner with us on the show. So this was like the most unbelievable news. We were like, oh my God, like... Yeah. We'd had so many no's and we'd had to say no to offers that came in and it had been quite hard. And then, you know, they they came to us and said, look, we really love this. We, we'd be happy to sort of... So they were very... Um, supportive and that was in the middle of may you know when we were all on zoom and like so these amazing things were still sort of happening and they partnered with us on a on a big funding application which sadly we didn't get but i think even just to get to that point i was so proud of that the fact that they put their name to that and said look we will support you um and if you get this you can come and use our studio so i mean it was an incredible opportunity um to even get to that point. And, and who knows mm. what might happen in the future, but it was, you know, there was definitely some movement, which of all years, that was the least of, of the years I thought it would move, you know? So it's made us think a bit about the direction we can go in and, and it could be, and, and Emily and I potentially thinking about moving 
you know, because online is where it's all at right now, it could well be that our product could fit really well in that area anyway. So it's kind of just, yeah, I think at some point we'll reenact it. But the experience of immersing myself in in Frida's life was pretty amazing. I mean, I just kind of got right into the bones of her and read all the books and just mm. really got into it. And I mean, Morgan was incredibly important because he, he is Mexican and he is so authentic and knows a lot of people that knew her. And, and so we had some incredible conversations with people and and sort of, the most amazing thing that happened was he found through a friend of his um, a song that Frida wrote, which appears in an opera that a really f- well-known composer friend of his in Mexico had permission to use Frida's lit- song lyrics. Oh, wow. And, and he'd, um, she'd composed like music to it. And so we were able to use that in our production. She was so kind and gave us permission and said, you can use it, you know, you can just, you can. So it was the first time in Europe that anyone had ever heard this song that Frida had actually written. So it was just... Can you imagine? Yes. I mean, what a discovery, you know. And we had the lyrics visually up on the on the projection and we had them in Spanish and English and they're really funny. The lyrics are basically <laughs> about, um, true to form, they're about making sure that Diego gets paid for his commission. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what the song's about. It's like, don't you, make sure you take a deposit. It's all about some big mural that Diego was commissioned for and, you know, make sure you take a deposit because they're not going to pay you on time. I was like, yeah, nothing changes. <laughs> like, <laughs> artists still trying to get paid yeah. on time, you know? It, yeah, it's like an MU agreement within yeah. the song. Lovely. Literally, Verity. It was so, you know, everyone was like, oh, it's going to be poetic. And I was like, no, 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 no. Frida was like canny and she had a sense of humour yeah. and she was tough. It's the T's you know? and C's. Oh, yeah. 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 She wasn't like a lily liver. You know, she was a tough woman, an amazing woman. So you yeah. really came through in those lyrics. You know, she's like, no way, get the money. <laughs> I was like, I love it. into the land uh. of yeah <laughs> into now it's meditation based isn't it and well, it's, it's kind of yeah it's a mm. mixture of stuff actually so i mean i um obviously there's there's like a lot of us there's been that opening where you know there's just not a lot going on in terms of work being offered and so but i think to be honest prior to the pandemic i've been thinking about other things um that i wanted mm. to add to my career and it's still very much staying within the performance kind of based kind of holistic side of things so I now offer um my services as a transformational coach (gasps) and I'm also qualified meditation teacher which was something I always wanted to do and I had finally found the time to do that so really at the moment this is in its infancy I've just qualified with the meditation I'm about to qualify as a a fully qualified as a coach um congratulations thanks and the idea is that I'm tying it in very much to how I approach things anyway so I think Mm. ultimately my coaching is specializing in performance leadership mindset so very Mm. much embodying all the things that I am and have been and have done with my music but I'm not by any means only coaching musicians so I'm delighted to coach creatives because it's my world and I'm I'm probably able to lend even more of a, a mentoring arm if people want that as well but I actually have clients who are you know everything from students to teachers to and I get so much out of it I think the thing that was just so lovely 
I, for a while, I've been thinking about doing something like this, to be honest. And, and I think the pandemic, like so many of us, in a weird way, it gave me that opportunity to sort of have yeah. the time. Um, and so I decided that the reason why it, it was something I really wanted to do, because I was like, what is this thing? Why am I so passionate about this? Like, well, I think the thing with musicians is like the whole point is the shared experience, at least for me, you know, and that's what we're all missing is that vibe from an audience and, and also mm. that uplift that you're hopefully giving to an audience. If you're doing a job properly, like they will leave there hopefully feeling better than when they arrived. And there's something really powerful about that, which is not ever spoken about, I would say so much, but, and this was the thing that I felt with coaching is actually exactly the same feeling. So if you're able to, um, you know, help, your your client to even just to feel a bit better that in that hour if you see that they feel better and that they have a bit more of a, a kind of feeling of how to go forwards then it is the most amazing feeling it's mm. actually the same feeling I get when I'm on stage and, and with my friends and trying to do a good job for the audience so that was a really amazing realization for me this year was that actually there is something else that I love just as much and I think in this country I am really it makes me quite cross the kind of almost stigma attached to having you know side hustles as we call them you know until the pandemic it's almost like frowned upon it's almost like oh you you have to just be a musician or you clearly haven't made it and it's like what a load mm. of rubbish I mean there are no other countries in the world where people are only musicians I mean my friends who were being nominated for Grammys in New York had three other jobs on the side. It's not about, you know, this whole kind of, I just think we, you know, the quicker we get rid of this kind of judgment mm. because ultimately yeah. like it, it, it's, it's about practicality and yeah, surviving. Well, things inform other things, surely. The more surely. life experience you have, the more informed you can be in performance and composition and, you know. Yeah, I anything. think so. And I, so I think, although, yeah, obviously practically there is a huge need for me and many of us to, to try and find income, elsewhere as well that's obviously a big part of what's driving this but mm. it's by no means the only part and I think for me um they're all the same thing what I'm doing actually and so the coaching yeah. whilst it's new I haven't I'm excited because I've got a lot of like visioning going on I do this thing with like um I have this stuff which is like um the list is what we'll see but it's like this Ooh. um portable whiteboard <laughs> stuff which is yes. like a you tear it off and you can stick it on walls and take it with you. Oh. So I've got loads of them downstairs where I'm just visioning ideas for the business. So how I'm really thinking about this is kind of how it can fit into everything I do. Because I think like even with the coaching, I've just for now set up, you know, simple social media and stuff. But the way that I've set it up is like, yeah, it, may, it makes sense that the two things in my life are interchangeable and that people need to see that and it's visible because I think what hopefully brings me credibility as a coach is all that experience as a creative under pressure. And let's face it, as musicians, we have the most diverse life experience in terms of what we, what we go through mentally and emotionally. Yeah. So if you can manifest that and actually kind of adding that into the training I've done this year and I'll continue to do I think I've come out with sort of an interesting angle which I hope will help people I just you know I want it to help people and I want people to feel supported in their journey and I think also there is a real need for you know the education of, of classical music to continue to refresh itself and you know I'm I'm very passionate about that side of things and, and helping young artists sort of to feel good you know because I think mm. we were just taught to practice like a demon and kind of almost this guilt trip if you didn't you know be you know and I think the psychology and all of that has just been very much laid on the side really and and I think it's just really like that's just old now we need to get rid of that old-fashioned way of teaching because it doesn't help anyone 
And, um, yeah, you know, 100%. we all we all know people who have really never recovered from the suffering from those those early experiences of the pressure of being perfect and mm. playing so perfectly and, and everything that comes with it. And I think um, whilst it's important to mention that a coach is absolutely not a therapist and there is a very strong line between and one which I would never, you know, go into for obvious reasons because I'm not qualified but um, coaching, what I like is there is very much a forward focus and that's what's really yeah. cool and it's fun. So you can kind of, you know, whilst people might occasionally, you know, share things about their past, ultimately they're interested in how they can go forward and I just find that really fun. Uh, is there a, a coach-client uh, confidentiality? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's Why are you pretty... trying to get some uh, stories no, there, no. Seb? <laughs> no, 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 I wasn't asking for some... <laughs> No, I just wondered if there's any people interested. Like, but you're not going to tell everyone what they're up to. Oh God, no, 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 no. So I mean, I'd like, I'd never. Even what I just said now is the limit to what I would feel yeah, comfortable sharing because yeah, yeah. it's vague and it is not specific um, at all. No, I mean, it's very much a safe space. And again, something I'm very, mm. very passionate about is making sure yeah. that people are safe in their boundaries. And you know, as we know, this industry has a, still a long way to go with boundaries and appropriate mm. levels of behaviour in certain situations. So I think. No, the coaching is like 100% a safe space. So mm. I would never disclose who I coach. And, and also in terms of the safety within the sessions, like, yeah, I mean, I have contracts. It's just like, you know, a contract for any agreement. So yeah, yeah. they will sign something and we talk that through and people know that they're safe. Because again, I think that's something that often, you know, we don't always feel as performers is like that safe space where you can just share anything you know yeah absolutely you know I think that's it's amazing how people just need <clears throat> to be listened to honestly I can't tell you like it, it really because as a new coach you know you're obviously wanting to really do a good job and you're a bit anxious and it you know I'm still really learning I'm very much still learning but what I realized so much is that people they really just want to be heard mm. you know because so often people don't have anyone to really listen to them like really listen to them you know and just check in and let them speak and 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 I think so many people live such busy lives and to just literally have a space to talk to talk and kind of just work some stuff out it's very much a client-led thing and it's what I love about it you know because the clients are amazing they're just so interesting and you know very diverse people Oh my gosh, that girl has done it all, hasn't she? She has done yeah. so, so much. It's amazing. Yeah. Mm. I I am very inspired by her ideas. She's she's she mm. has these ideas that seem to come fully formed in her brain or yeah. you know, very ambitious things. Yeah. And just sees if she can do them and yeah. and gets in touch with the best people she knows, her friends or people she doesn't know. And then they lead to you know, somewhere where possibly she could never have imagined in the first yeah, place. Yeah, I love what I love she was that. telling us about the bagpiper in Scotland. I mean, that just sums yeah. it up so neatly, doesn't it? The fact that she just went to see something and approached him and then he came and was part of her show. That just sort of, that so neatly sums her up, doesn't it? Yeah. And then th- those things have led to her playing with Jeff Beck, Brian Wilson. Yeah. It it just shows, um, you know, how powerful that kind of thing can be, having a small idea that can grow 
and then who knows where you're going to end up. Yeah, right, exactly. I tell yeah. you, one thing we didn't really talk to her about um, yeah. is her incredible fashion because she oh. looks amazing. I'll um, I'll put a link to her website so you can see, but she wears the most incredible clothes for her performances. Um, she's got, yeah, brilliant style, and I think that's all wrapped up in this very creative, um, inter... Uh, what's the word? What would you say? All the, like these collaborative things. I think fashion is really deeply rooted in that. Yeah, definitely. I think the uh, the image is very important, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, she's yeah. got an excellent website. It's always yeah. handy when guests have a good website, isn't it? <laughs> Honestly, uh, so good. <laughs> otherwise, we're scrabbling around Google trying to find old old uh, biographies from like the back of a uh choral society concert or something it's really <laughs> yeah. hard but lizzie's exactly. got it all there she's you know she is aware of her she's got you know she's got her her name written in a nice font she's oh, aware of her brand i think that's so important as yeah. uh as as someone like, what's she doing she's a f- well-rounded performer doing she's all sorts of exciting well, things so yeah quite yeah. right so thank you so much for chatting to us lizzie yeah how's the week ahead looking for you seb uh well yeah. Um, Thursday, I'm hopefully getting the keys to my new house. <gasps> oh, yeah. That yeah. is fantastic news. It's a big, big moment. Isn't it? Yeah. And so do you go and move straight in or is this like some major architectural well, job? <laughs> so the thing is with it is that it is okay. We could just move in, but there's been a lady living there for about 35 years. and right. It's the kind of thing where really every single surface of the whole place you'd probably want to just change, (laughs) clean, redo. It's a bit of a big, big thing, really. But uh, we're going to start off with uh, sanding the floors downstairs and then hiring uh, a rug doctor and and, uh, cleaning the carpets. Do you know, that's a joy. I really enjoyed that when we did that. Yeah, because, I mean, the change. You're going to get such a <laughs> kick out of that, honestly. Great. I quite fancy just doing that now for fun. Why not do it? I'll, I'll pop round if you like. I'll come and do the rug doctor. Yeah, you come sort <laughs> out, out the rug doctor. Get me homeschooling, won't it? That's my life. Oh, yeah, so you're doing that. Week. Yeah, back to those days. I know, I'd love to say that I'm armed with loads of new techniques which are going to be inspiring and exciting for the boys, but I fear that I'm not. Oh no! Oh, back to what, the drawing what, board. When are you going to start Monday? Monday, yeah. That's today for lis- listeners listening. Day now it comes out. I will have now. done a, some of it. <laughs> You'll by be now. listening to this with, with a coffee and a pan of chocolat. Yeah. Sat out in the morning sun. That's right. Uh, Verity, what will you be doing? I will be doing dividing fractions, and I will be doing things to do with um, the English language that I just don't understand, like split things <laughs> split infinitives split infinitives and stuff like that having done an english a level I, I would have thought i'd be quite well versed at the english part of the curriculum but no no haven't got a clue so that's going to be my day so enjoy mm. your pan of chocolat and your coffee and your podcast yeah yeah enjoy that listener <laughs> yeah um well i'd say just stay always stay one page ahead that's don't, right don't show weakness Oh, so wise. That's true. <laughs> and don't turn your back. Not for a second or you'll be no. have ink splattered up it. <laughs> <laughs> Someone will draw a chalk um, outline of something on, on it. <laughs> yes. I'll have kick me <laughs> stuck to my back. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, 
Wow. Oh, well, well have, have fun. Hopefully it doesn't last for too many uh, months. But, uh, <laughs> fingers crossed yeah um, but we have uh, another exciting guest don't we lined up for this week oh yeah we've got yeah we're, yeah, we're, we're sort of going back uh, with a bang aren't we doing sort of a lot of lot of podcasts well two uh, <laughs> in in short succession because of this so, uh, whole sounding yeah. situation yeah. Uh, so we're doing one on uh, tuesday which is tomorrow listen that's up, right. if you're listening on monday uh, that's, I'm that's very be much hoping fun, that I'll be forming full sentences by then. I so, hope so. We'll yeah, be getting back know. into the swing of uh, talking. Slowly. <laughs> and what else? I don't know who's next, but we've got a long list of people mm. to, to ask and people yeah. that are asking us yes. if they can be on it, which is very so nice. It's exciting. It's lovely. Yeah, it's so nice. Um, if you know of anyone mega famous that would like to be on the show, then... Uh, uh, please put them in touch yeah <laughs> um what else so um we have a patreon if you oh, haven't yes. listened to us before you can uh, support the show by going to the uh patreon where there's a link in the show description uh below and what do they get if they join the patreon you get access so many things. to a Extra. patreon only exclusive mm-hmm. podcast feed so every yeah. week there's like an extra sort of 15, 20, 30 minutes. That's right. That, that couldn't fit into the main show. And you get access to all other kind of uh, rewards, backstage stuff. Yeah. More, there'll be more and more stuff uh, the more we true. can actually meet up and do things and film stuff. Yeah. And, and if you go in right moment. at the top of the Patreon tree, you yeah. can even have an hour of our time once a month. Um, that could be a trumpet lesson or a cello lesson. Yeah. Do you like the way I said trumpet lesson first there? <laughs> um, <laughs> or it could, you know, you could just chat about setting up a podcast or whatever you wanted, really, within yeah. reason. So An hour you know. of our time. Yeah. Is that an hour of both of our time or um, one I mean, I think that's up for negotiation. Let's okay. let's wait and see. If you, if listener, you pick that option, we will discuss that with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or if you're thinking of having trumpet lessons anyway, then why mm. not go through the Patreon? Right, exactly. And you also get bonus uh, podcast. You do. And, I don't know, stickers or something. No, um, stuff, yeah. Stuff, you get some stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, and you'd be a total legend in our eyes. Oh, so much so. And it um, just starts at £3.50 a month, which is the cost yeah. of, I don't know, a medium coffee at Costa. So go on. Yeah, um, per month. So per week is like nothing, really. Nothing. Um, what else? If you don't want to do that, that's, that's absolutely fine. The this, this show will carry on as it is for free. Uh, but uh, you could help us out by just uh, sharing the podcast somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell a friend. Yep. Maybe just um, give a rating on iTunes. That would really help. Yeah, all that like and subscribe business is wonderful. Yeah, Go that's on. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, thanks for having us, guys. And uh, here's to a fantastic 2021. It's going to be good. Hooray. It's going to be great, isn't it? Totally it's be is. Really good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, have a good week and we'll see you next time. See you there. Three in a bar. Bye. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.